Good evening and welcome to the O&M Stockroom with your hosts uh, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley. And tonight is episode 11 of Complimentary Cinema. And uh, spoiler alert, we, uh, we talk about movies that you can watch for free on YouTube and we discuss them in length. So if there's anything that uh, you don't want revealed about the particular movie we're going to cover, then maybe watch or listen to this podcast uh, after you have seen the film. We talk about everything in its entirety. In its entirety. We leave no stone unturned unless we just happen to not think about it at the time. Or unless it's too depressing to continue with. Or too... Oh, definitely. So, uh, we've had a really good trend going the last uh, few weeks where we have actually been covering some really pretty interesting films um, and some some actually fairly well-acted ones as well. And uh, (laughs) I'm happy to say... Uh, tonight we're gonna we're gonna change the trend, and we're gonna go diving deeply uh, back into garbage. All good things have to come to an end, and uh, this has come to an end in a exploding wreck. Would you even say that this movie, uh, The Wraith, is explosively bad? It is explosively. It is bad. explosively bad. Ah, uh, so. Uh, so like like uh like all you know nearly all complimentary cinema films that we uh uh watch and review on this channel uh we basically just kind of pick them at random does the title sound good does the uh, poster art look halfway interesting and well you know the wraith was kind of a it, it caught my imagination the the title it it jumped out at me I'm like okay wraith is a cool word all right reminds me of like lord of the rings and supernatural stuff I watched you pick the movie. It took less than half a second. You know, I you just uh, saw the wraith, and that was it. I was like, okay, that's it. You know, sometimes you just got a good feeling about things, and uh, sometimes that feeling is absolutely dead wrong, as it was in the uh, the case of this film. So, uh, you know, so the wraith, the wraith, you know, it sounds supernatural. It sounds maybe even spooky. Uh, there's not. Re- I would not call this a, a spooky film by any stretch. No, there's no spookiness. This is no, there's no spooky here. So, uh, 1986 film directed and written, uh, by Mike Marvin, who has done other, uh, really fantastic films such as hot dog, the movie and hamburger, the movie. And, uh, some, some other one that looked like a, almost like a softcore porn. They all looked pretty terrible. They all looked pretty terrible. And this actually might have been the biggest uh, budget and the, uh, the, the closest to an A-list cast that any of his films uh, came to. And it's just too bad that he had to write it also because uh, writing on this one was particularly horrendous. It was very bad. It was very noticeable throughout the entirety. Um it's hard to say where to start exactly with all the flaws of this film. Well, how about a, how about just a, a quick uh, synopsis of uh, the plot here? So the movie is mostly about a guy who's a real jerk, and he's the he's the head of a car gang uh, who likes to race people to win their pink slip for their car. Really, and this is the problem with the movie. <laughs> even just in the synopsis, is the movie is mostly about him. It really is. So, uh, ostensibly, the film is supposed to star Charlie Sheen, 
And uh, we get maybe, uh, I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my ass. I mean, maybe 10, 15 minutes of actual Charlie Sheen's screen time. But we see the bad guy uh, played by Nick Cassavetes. Uh He plays the, the, the gang leader, Patrick Walsh, or not Patrick, Packard Walsh. And yeah, we see him over and over and over and over again. It really is a vehicle for uh, Nick Cassavetes. So anyway, he uh, he races people for their for their cars, and uh, he he is a big jerk. He um, he has a quote girlfriend who's really just like he forces to stay around with him, and is always just trying to leave him. And technically, the movie would be about her and uh, this new guy that comes into town, who is kind of a stranger nobody knows. Charlie Sheen. Yes, Charlie Sheen. So uh, he comes in like riding a motorcycle. Nobody really knows him, but... Uh, the, the introductory shot of Charlie Sheen was pretty great. I mean, it was a full like 30 seconds of him just on an Arizona highway, just kind of coming closer and closer, uh, wearing no T-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a jean jacket thing, but no shirt, hair blown in the wind. Uh, this film is from 1986, and that's about as 80s as it gets. You know, riding in a uh, Fisher Price colored uh, dirt bike on a, on a road with the the sun on your face. And throughout all of this, the opening parts of this movie, there's just 80 mu- 80s music blasting, um, and like a whole bunch of songs, just one after the next. The soundtrack, uh, the soundtrack to this definitely got off to a great great start. I mean, you've got Ozzy Osbourne, you have uh, Robert Palmer, you know, there's a lot of, uh, well-known artists in the soundtrack for this. I, they spent uh, probably a great deal of money on the, uh, the rights for these songs. So I would assume, I mean, the budget for this film was, you said, uh, what did you say it was like it was, 3 million? Yeah. Just, just like, under in, in the ballpark of $3 million. We have uh, quite a few explosions in the film and you have licensing rights for, for all of the music there. Seems like that's where probably a lot of the budget went. Now, we can also talk about where some of the budget probably came from, which is the Chrysler Corporation. Oh, yes, absolutely. All the cars in this film are uh, very obviously Chrysler branded. <laughs> and in fact, the, um, the well, I guess we should get to kind of what the Wraith is <laughs> before we can really explain oh. anything further. But basically, there is... We're we're shown at the very beginning, before anything starts, these like kind of weird electric light pulses that are just kind of speeding through the desert, zooming around, and uh, they converge uh, in the middle of the nowhere in the desert to form the the car, the car. Which I don't know if that's the wraith. I mean, the guy's the wraith, but is the car technically part of that? I think the the car is definitely part of it. The the car is its own character. It's it's just a very uh, aerodynamic it's, looking black car. One basically, it's one of the so it's one of the best scenes in the film. You have these like like fantastical like pulses of energy. They converge at this crossroads, and they're like there's this big bright light, and then you get all of these amazingly eighties close ups with like fog and dim lighting of this super sleek black car, which. In profile, looks a little bit like a Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before Even you can his, see it very well. Before you see it, I thought it was a Lamborghini at first, but unfortunately, it was just a Dodge Chrysler, which is really not impressive at all. Yeah. Just not impressive. 
So there's, uh, and then you also see the driver is a guy in all black with a black racing helmet. Yes. And then like some weird, like like armor looking stuff and like braces. It's like if you combined Daft Punk and a Borg, you would get the, the look for this character. It looked incredibly Daft Punk. It was very Daft Punk and very... Very sci-fi in that regard. I mean, it was like it was almost like a biomechanical suit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like a like a oh man, maybe not maybe not Daft Punk mixed with the Borg, but Daft Punk mixed with like the like like, like a bodysuit from like the, one of the Alien movies. Yeah, combine those, and then you have the look of this character. Yeah, that's fair. The driver of this mystery vehicle. So anyway, the driver and car combined, I would say, is the Wraith, because a lot of the of the film is the car, and so you don't actually see the character as much. You see him a couple times, but it's mostly the car. You really just see the car, yeah. The car is a, it's definitely its own its own thing and its own character, and kind of reminds me of another film from the seventies called The Car, which I may have mentioned before. Recently, and that's about another black car that goes driving around. Hmm. Only that car, and that car also ostensibly has a supernatural origin as well. But that one is a little more malevolent than this one. But certainly a potential uh, inspiration for this film. So the really great part about this film is that they don't explain anything. And we spend most of our time with really terrible people. Like you do. So, you know, so we spend an awful lot of time with Packard's gang, uh, among which is uh, Clint Howard, Ron Howard's uh, much less attractive but equally talented brother. Just, you know, just not much in the looks department, not necessarily an A-list actor, but certainly a very um, incredibly... I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, member of he's a very memorable character act. Yeah, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's been in Apollo thirteen. He was on an episode of the original Star Trek. He's been in tons and tons and tons of stuff, and it was kind of delightful to to see him in it because I'm like, oh hey, you know, you, you know, at least he's going to give a good performance. Packard himself, you know, I, I mentioned was uh, played by Nick Cassavetes. Uh His father, I can't remember his first name, but he was. His father played the sketchy-ass husband in um, Rosemary's Baby. So he was, you know, he was a famous actor back in the 60s. And then you have Charlie Sheen, who was the less talented son of Martin Sheen. He was a goddamn brilliant actor. Not that Charlie Sheen's terrible, but he's not Martin Sheen. He's not his dad. He's Charlie Sheen. He's Charlie. He's Charlie Sheen. And then uh, what's another one? You got um, uh, Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. And then you have Randy Quaid, the less talented and less attractive brother of Dennis Quaid. It's like you get a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what's a what's what's a good way to put this? It's you like a, the second string. You you, know? you 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 get all of the the um, the fa- the Hollywood dynastic leftovers. Somebody just kind of scooped them all up and just put them in this film, which in itself is is makes that uh, fun to watch. You know, especially when that with that scene with uh, Clint Howard and Randy Quaid just together, it's like, well, you know, here are two men, you know, trying to make a living, standing in the in the massive shadows 
of hugely successful and, and talented brothers. And it's like you just had to feel for him for a moment. It's like they're just trying so hard to like carve out their own name and make their own mark. And it's just, I mean, how do you do that? And like, yeah. I, th- I think you, you mentioned too, uh, a lot of these characters too, uh, it, it, I don't know if miscast is the right word, but like, it's really hard to take the bad guy seriously. I couldn't take anyone seriously in this film. Uh, Randy Quaid was a terrible cast for that part. <laughs> so he, Randy, he, was, he, was, yeah. he was supposed to be the sheriff. Sheriff Loomis, the guy who's trying to figure out why this wraith is going around killing these gang members. And he just, he, he tries to portray this very, you know, confident, kind of swaggery, kind of, you know, tough guy. But it's Randy Quaid. Yeah, there's no swagger just, at all. I mean, he's like, 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 listen, like, like if, if he was cast as a high school vice principal, I would have been like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you needed someone a little more grizzled for that part, yeah, too. Yeah, just... Because just, his face is kind of still youngish, you know? It's just baby soft and just kind of goofy, and it's... You know, it's kind of like when when you see a kid kind of try on his parents' clothes, you know, and play adult. It's like... That's like what it's like trying to watch Randy Quaid play a serious, like, macho kind of badass character. Yeah. Not that not that Sheriff Loomis is necessarily those things, but you know he's supposed to be like the town tough guy figure of authority, and you just never really and that like you're the, never sold on it, and that like all the other police kind of follow him instinctively. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no one ever challenges him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, he is the sheriff in the film, so I mean, I, I kind of get that. But at the same I'm saying time, his like, character doesn't earn it. His character does not earn that level of of command and respect that he's given in this film. And also, likewise, same thing for uh, same thing for Packard Walsh. He's just not th- this bad guy is. Problem so, is that he's not menacing, really. He's really not. I mean, like, so like the first time that we're introduced to Packard and his gang is the very first, you know, well, I guess second scene in the film after the unrevealing of the Wraith. And, you know, they, they, they kind of, he, they, they all like drive these really ugly ass cars that are, you know, one's a Corvette and goes kind of fast and, you know, yada. So, you know, so they, they, they kind of surround this young couple in a Daytona. And they're like, you know, hey, you know, either race us for your car or we're going to like gang rape your woman. So the kid, you know, you know, races him and he loses the race through foul play. And then they take his car and basically leave this kid and his woman to go walk off. And the entire time, like none of them are really menacing because Packard Walsh, he just looks goofy. Well, first off, I mean, he looks too old for the kind of character that he's playing. Like, he looks like he's, like, one step away from, like, playing, like, a Wall Street broker. But they've got him, like, in a bad fake leather vest with a really feathery mullet. And he just doesn't, I you know, yeah, they, they flash around a little switchblade, but whatever. And then all the rest of his goons are, like, these short little dorks. And, yeah, like, you know, they might look rough. Like, one's, like, kind of a fake punk and, you know, another looks like another, like, you know, just typical tough guy. But none of them ever really, they they just don't have it. 
They don't have that menacing aspect, really. They just they never they never quite get there. They're just they're just really dumb, awkward, like hick people. Basically, it's like um, you know, like I I grew up in a small town in Oregon, which had a lot of what we called Walmart gangsters. You know, people who like you know acted like they were from the streets, but they were really from like the trailer park. And they got their their Nike and Adidas at Walmart, and they thought they were badass. It's kind of like that. That's what you have in this film, but for a, a car gang. I mean, what kind of? Um, they never really make it clear exactly what kind of gang they are. I mean, they just fix up cars and they they race people to get their cars. Yeah, yeah. They listen to Billy Idol and they have like a really pretty sweet. They have a really pretty sweet shop there. Yeah, you know they've got. They work on their cars like in this giant, uh, not quite a barn, you know. I mean, I mean, it's just a big auto shop that kind of shaped like a barn, but I mean, it's got like neon lights inside, and they're listening, you know, they're listening to like the latest hits, and they don't explain like where he's getting financing. I mean, yeah, stuff. I mean, like like these are well financed hoodlums with a lot of uh, equipment, you know. Now, I guess you could say some of the parts and stuff they might get from the the airplane junkyard or something, but. A couple of the hoodlums do work in a junk plane. So they might be yeah. like scrapping parts yeah. from there to, to sell or something, but they don't explain it. Yeah, they don't explain that there, at all. There's so little that it is explained in this film that they have flashback exposition in the middle of like a whole different scene uh, without having explained anything about what's going on. Okay, and a great example of that early in the film, you know, so Charlie Sheen, you know, he's... The first time we see him, he's just driving into town on his little dirt bike. You know, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous looking bike too. I mean, that's it's it, that immediately just kind of makes you like you can't take him seriously. You know, crappy little bike. You know, and he goes, you know, and he next time we see him, like you know, he's down at like a, a little river area, and he's checking out uh, Sherilyn Fenn's character, uh, Carrie Johnson, and she's you know the alleged girlfriend of Packard. And Packard's immediately like checking him, looking at, looking at a so-called girl, and that's when he has the first flashback to him murdering a guy. Yeah, with his buddies. They're literally sitting on the side of a river. It's a sunny day. There's a bunch of people in swimsuits and like having a good time. And then we have a flashback to him murdering someone. Yes, just boom, just out of nowhere. He just looks at Charlie Sheen and he just imagines murder. Incredible. And we had to like pause it for a moment and be like, what? <laughs> we, we had to pause it and go back and just look at that again and just be like, okay, so that happened in that in that sequence, and that's what we're doing. Okay. So we have a couple flashbacks like that in this movie that are flashing back to the same murder the from same different murder. people's perspectives. Yeah. Um, and that ends up being like part of the storytelling, but uh, it is just very strange. Um, because it doesn't seem to be explaining anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... It's supposed to be hints. It, it's supposed to be hints throughout the movie. They're, they're giving clues as to Charlie Sheen's real origin and his real identity. Yeah. You know, which you, you can pick up on if you're paying attention. But it, And I do, I, I'll give it this. Those scenes are good in the, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the show me, don't tell me aspect of you know acting in theater and film they're showing you that you know packard and his crew are a bunch of murderous assholes 
which is a lot more convincing than everyone just being like, ooh, you know, they're kind of creepy and weird. Which, you know, there's some there's some talk. It's nice to actually just see what they're capable of. But the way that they did it is what I have the problem with. And the problem of, okay, we introduced them as these bike gang jerks or whatever. And then it wasn't until later then like, oh, well, they killed somebody. Like, isn't that kind of backwards? A little bit, shouldn't yeah. They have, shouldn't they have shown the gravity of how violent they could be? first i mean they kind of do in that in that opening scene with that young couple in the daytona yeah but they don't really do anything but they don't yeah they they don't they let let him go and they they act they they're kind of posture all tough you know but even even like even like uh you know the kid driving the daytona is like yeah whatever you know you fucking assholes whatever take my fucking car i guess my my point is that the writing is a mess the writing is a mess and and the things that are explained and aren't explained is problematic. I, I, you know, we might need to just start making lists while we're watching these things, because man, there was a lot of them. Uh, they don't explain that. They don't. Ex- uh, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna jump, just jumping ahead here. So, so these guys like to race. All right. Well, the magic car that we see at the beginning, which came out of the lightning bolts. Oh, they're gonna race that car too. And well, they end up racing that car a few times, the wraith car, and the. Uh, the car always ends up magically being somewhere right where one of Packard's gang's cars are. And there's an explosion. They crash Packard's gang members dead. The Wraith car rematerializes and poofs off again. And every time that happens, there's like some like metal brace or device or something that like vanishes or disappears either out of the wreckage or even on the Wraith driver himself. That is never talked about. That's never explained. That's never, that's never, that's never addressed in in the actual film. The other big thing that's not addressed, uh, the eyes. Tell us about that. So yeah, every time, because the first time that that you kind of mentioned there that the Wraith guy uh, races against someone, the other driver from the gang ends up dying in a horrible fiery crash, but when the police come to pick up the body, it's completely unharmed in any way, except its eyes are missing. The eyes are missing. Like, gone. But even though it was like a fiery, violent crash, the, bo- the rest of the body is completely fine. None of this is explained. Ever. They, uh, they, they point it out more than once, because they point it out every time another person dies. Uh, well, nearly every time somebody dies in this film. and But they never come back to that. It's just it's just left as oh this creepy thing that happened, and they never uh, there's no follow through and there's no follow up. It's not like you can even come to your own conclusion, because it's just a weird thing that happens. And there is no meaning or significance to it. Yeah, because I mean there there's nothing that tie so like the eyes disappearing. There's nothing else in the film to tie that to, except like the vanishing of the um, metal brace things. But there's no direct correlation shown between those. See, like if if the bodies had shown up after the accidents with like one of the stab wounds on them, or like you know something like that, that would make sense. If like they were all stabbed in the same place or something like that, yeah, that would have made sense. That would have made sense. But yeah, this is not a film that makes a lot of sense. 
So let's okay. So let's go back to uh, let's go back to um, Carrie Johnson, Sherilyn Fenn's character. So Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks, awesome actress, been in a lot of good stuff. One to definitely one of the high points of this film, just overall. Um, you know, both for you know actually being able to act, but also being impeccably lovely, especially at this point in her career. So she uh, is the was the girlfriend of a uh, a Jamie. Hankins, who was murdered. And that's the flashback scene that we keep seeing. And it's shown that it's uh, Packard's gang that killed Jamie Hankins. And now she's kind of owned or possessed by by Packard and, her, and his gang. And just within like 30, not even 30 seconds, 10 seconds of meeting uh, Charlie Sheen, she immediately hops on his bike to go for a ride somewhere. Just like, oh, hey, yeah, okay. That's kind of odd. Yeah. Can can you imagine in any, I, you know, what you know, put your place like, put yourself in her place, or even like, you know, you're a young single guy, and a hot chick on a motorcycle shows up. Okay, well, maybe I would. Okay, <laughs> so, maybe I. Would. Okay, so maybe if I would. Okay, okay, all right. Well, anyway, the point anyway. is, there's no reason for her to be like uh, all about this guy. Just at all at the drop of that other than the fact that she's quote dating a guy who's a complete jerk and just she wants to get away from him yeah which i get you know but it just doesn't seem like uh you know but this all that also underscores how packard is not really scary or intimidating the first the minute somebody else comes along but like, hey you want to ride she's like hey okay Ooh, you're kind of cute you know yeah. kind of vibes well he, he's just kind of pathetic you he know? is pathetic and the, and this is something else that you, you mentioned while we were watching this. And what was that, Ken? What? Everyone's pathetic? Everyone in this movie is pathetic. You, you have a pathetic sheriff. You have a pathetic uh, antagonist. The protagonist... Uh, Charlie Sheen as the protagonist is not impressive at all. Because uh, they gave him so little to work with, for one thing. The brother. Uh, oh, the brother. The, the burger flipper. The brother of the murdered Jamie Hankins, Billy Hankins. You know, he, he has this great scene where he confronts where he confronts Packard in the burger joint parking lot when he's taking Sherilyn Fenn's character away and he tries to stop him. And it's like he just stands there and let his ass get fucking kicked. He does absolutely nothing to stop it. He doesn't even try to hit the guy. Just pathetic. And nobody comes to help him at nobody, all. Nobody, and nobody comes like to help him. 20 people standing around watching Just him. watching him get his ass kicked. Just watching this this woman get, you know, taken away, clearly against her will, you know. And, and he, he, you know, he comes up and he calls them all chicken shit bastards or whatever. And he's absolutely right. Every single person in this film is a chicken shit bastard of some kind. Except for, you know, Charlie Sheen and Loomis, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they just... I, the, the amount of spines in this film is pretty low. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's maybe three, maybe four tops. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. They're still not that strong, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> they uh, might be missing a few vertebrae, you know, but there's something there at least. But man. So, uh, I mean, even Sheriff Loomis, like, I guess his point in this movie is to, like, be the investigator. Um, but even that is like he doesn't ever figure anything out either. <laughs> he really doesn't. He, he just all uh, he figures out is that this ghost car is weird shit. Like that's it. 
that literally is it. And then, uh, you know, like even at the end of the film, he's just like, it's over. We're done. He's just like, <laughs> we're not going to keep up after this. All the pet, you know, cause by the end, you know, all the bad guys are dead. Ultimately it's, you know? it's a revenge movie. Ultimately it's a revenge movie, you know, I, you know, and, and, you know, Loomis just kind of gives up and he just calls it. A. It's like, yeah, they're all dead. It's over now. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, that's it. That's you being a sheriff. And and at the very beginning of the film, we see a reelection sign. <laughs> this man is up for reelection and he's just going to let this vigilante murderer just, you know, grease like six people. Well, apparently there's no one else in town that, that can do anything worth the damn. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, Loomis. I mean, all he really does is basically just kind of walk up to the, uh, you know, the, I, w- I wish they had a name for this gang so I could refer to them, you know, the Packard gang. It only does is just insult them with bad insults. And he tries to like catch them in the act. He doesn't catch him doing shit. Yeah. He's always like a day late and like, dollar oh, short. I'll get you. I got a warrant. It's like a Wiley Coyote chasing the, uh, the road, you know, road runner, you know, it's just, he's never, he's always a, a day late and a dollar short. He's got nothing. Completely ineffective. Completely ineffective, and he oh, and he, when he does show up at Packard's with a uh, with a with a warrant, he doesn't even have other cops with him. He just catches the guy in bed with another woman and just kind of stands there, just kind of being an ass. And then Packard's an ass, and then the poor woman's <laughs> just like, I just wanted to get some. I <sighs> so I mentioned in the middle of this movie at some point when I realized that this was just going to be the rest of our life for this movie, is that we're spending this movie with all the wrong people. Because you don't have any character that we're rooting for. You really don't. I mean, like, you know you're supposed to be rooting for Charlie Sheen. You know who the good guys are. You have the, the, the guy and the girl he's after. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and, the, and the burger flipper guy. Sure, you know. They're all the good guys. Yeah, they're the good guys. I mean, you know who you're supposed to be rooting for. But we spend so li- little time with them, and their characters are so, like, they have no endearing They're incredibly two-dimensional. They're incredibly two-dimensional. It's... You you never ever start to really give a shit about him, because you never really get to know Sherilyn Fenn's character. She's just like the. I mean, she's likable as an a- actress and yeah. like her, the character she's playing. He's not unlikable. She's not unlikable, but at the same time, you never really. I, I mean, mean b- beyond empathizing with her situation, you never really get to know her. Like, there's she's nothing just, to know about her. She's the cute waitress who's getting abused by her boyfriend. Yeah. You you never get past her situation. You right. never get to know her as a character. And you never really, I mean. Oh it's the same for all of them. Then. It's I the mean, same for most of them, really, yeah. The, the, the brother working at the burger place, he's just like the kind of nice guy who, who you know, who, who, who was just. Ineffectual and weak. Yeah, just kind of weak. He just keeps to himself and tries to stay out of the, the light. And you know he's not he's an alright guy, but that's it. <laughs> and then Charlie Sheen's character is just like I'm the I'm the new guy. Like I'm 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 just I'm new in town. I'm the new guy. And that's that's, that's his it. character. That, that's his whole character. Is I'm the new guy. And I the most and the really the most that either one of either Billy or Charlie Sheen's character ever get is just when they first meet at that river. And they're just kind of hanging out on the sand. And they, they talk for a few minutes. When you have the first flashback murder scene, 
And that's really the most development you get for either one of them. Specifically, Charlie Sheen. You get you get a little more with Billy, but not much. So really, all the, the interactions between the people is treated as, let's just get to the cars racing. Oh, and how? How, how many car races are in this film, Ken? Well, there's five... So there's, there's the first one in the very beginning of the film, right? Right. With the Daytona, which we completely forgot about until we went on IMDb to look at some of the cast. Yeah. It was like, oh, the Daytona driver? Oh, that's how irrelevant that scene was, and even at, ultimately. Even at some point and a little bit into the movie, I'm like, oh, the, we're never going to see these people again. Like, those aren't characters. There was a whole scene at the beginning with these two characters, and then we just never see them again. They just n- didn't matter at all. It they was were... just to introduce the bad gang have a car race, and establish that they're, they're scumbags who just want to take your car. Yeah. So that's the first race, right? And then there's the... God, what was the second race? Was the second race with uh, the the Wraith car? Yeah. And then there was like a third race with the Wraith car. And then there was... Uh, there's at least four... No, there was, the, uh, there was two with the Wraith car. Okay. There's one where the one of the bad guys are chasing him on the motorcycle. Okay, and that counts too. And then there's another chase with the Wraith car. So and then there's the one at the end too. So there's like six or seven races in this film. They get the race quotient perfect. And a lot of it, I mean, it's it's uh for for a car chase, it's it's decent. I mean, they have nice scenery. It's is uh supposed to be in Arizona, so there's a lot of that uh, you know, the rock formations in the background, the kind of cliffs they're going around these windy uh, one lane in each direction roads with no shoulders or anything, you know, um, a great scenery for a race scene. The, the setting for the film is absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's definitely, um, you know, like rural Arizona too, you know, so you get a lot of a fantastic uh, nature shots and establishing shots. And there's one stretch of road they shoot a lot where it's got like these little bunny hills so like you can see the cars going up and down, and that's always fun. That's it's, always it's fun. It's effective. Yeah. They yeah. use it a lot because yeah. it's it's just a great shot, and it's a you know a straight, uh, sh- straight section of road with these up and down hills, um, and it's great for these chases. But the problem is there's no substance. And you know yeah. after the first chase with the wraith guy, you know what's going to happen every other time. <laughs> you really do because like the the first race sets a pattern. That you just kind of know was going to repeat itself, and boy, does it. It's like, you know, like uh, like even when the second guy's like, yeah, I'm going to race him. I'm going to get revenge for Ogie. Yes, Ogie, the name of the first guy who died Mm-mm. racing the Wraith. Uh, there was other great character names like what? Uh, Gutter Boy and Skink. Yep. So fantastic names for some of these characters. So it, Minty, I believe, was the name of yep. the, jockish, the jockish member of the Packard gang. You know, like... You know, you barely see or hear of him at all. Then all of a sudden, he's in this car, and every time they race, they wear a helmet, which I find hilarious because they're driving recklessly in these cars all through this movie. But it's only when they decide to race another vehicle that they bust out the helmet, which I I thought was a very interesting touch to say the least. So anyway, as soon as Minty gets in the car, it's like oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get revenge on this guy. I'm just like oh, there's the the next red shirt. There's the next guy who's like, I'm going to be the next disposable character to get absolutely greased in this film. And so they did. And so and so he did, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, this is—I mean, what else can you say about this film? I, mean, I think we really said everything. That's really race. is. I mean, this is basically a race car film, but not with actual race cars, with a vague supernatural element that's never explained or addressed. The writing is terrible. You spend all of your time with people who you dislike, unlikable characters, or just scummy people. Yeah, and then uh. And and let's talk about the writing again for a minute. The one-liners, the one-liners in this film are, are constant. I I wish I had written some of them down because a couple were so awful that they really should have been shared here. I they were just bad. They were just. And and here's the other thing. It's not like it's not like the dialogue was peppered with them. Like if you took, uh, you know, like let's say you're at Olive Garden. You know, you want a little bit of Parmesan on your pasta. All right. So like, so like, you know, good little slang or like phrases, you know, in in good writing, they'd be, there'd be a sprinkle of Parmesan. Somebody took the entire can and just dumped it on the plate, so to speak, because you'd have like one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, which was very distracting in a sense, because it really pulls you out of the film. Because you're just you're, you're laughing at just how how bad that that writing is. And uh, another thing too. So you know, so ultimately, this film is about Charlie Sheen being resurrected. He he was the guy that ended up being murdered. And that guy was with Sherilyn Fenn. So Sherilyn Fenn's boyfriend was a different version of the Charlie Sheen character, and he's yeah. come back to get his revenge on this gang. And where the hell was I going? Oh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, there's another film that I can think of where a couple is intruded upon by a gang of violent people that also have a member in their gang named Skank. And that movie also has another person come back from the dead to get revenge on those who wronged him. And that movie is called The Crow, which uh, a film you have not seen but is a fantastic film and a much better version than this uh, of that basic template of coming back from the dead because of true love and that kind of thing. And one other nice little, well, not nice, but one other interesting little tidbit. So when the crow Brandon Lee died during the filming of that. And in this uh, film, a production member died uh, when a car turned over. So there is definitely a couple of parallels there. It, it makes me wonder what the source material for The Crow is and what inspired this particular film. Supposedly, it was David Lynch, according to what I read, but I I have a hard time seeing that. I think someone had the idea of, uh, what if we had a bunch of cars to race, and how do we get to that point? <laughs> oh, it's a guy that's dead, and it's a ghost car. And you can crash him over and over again. That's definitely, uh, that definitely is what that felt like. Yeah. So, (laughs) okay. So, uh, so, you know, we always cover certain categories in these, you know, we talk about, you know, the relevant background info, the plot summary, you know, uh, we always discuss the soundtrack a little bit. We also like to talk about, uh, the most extraneous or useless character and, uh, how many of those are in this film, Ken? Well, a whole gang full. <laughs> There's a whole gang full of them. Now, uh, 
I don't know. I guess the brother. The brother actually serves. Oh God, does he serve any purpose? <laughs> I was going to say no. Wait um, a minute. Okay, how about how about the uncle? The uncle in the uh, airplane yard. Oh God. Okay, so so at one point, you know, Sheriff Loomis is going around. He he wants to talk to a couple of members of the Packard gang, and they one of them is a nephew of this guy who runs a a scrap aerospace junkyard and that you know you see him for like 25 seconds that is definitely the most extraneous useless character and this is one of those classic filmmaking things they were filming in arizona they were on location there happened to be an air a airplane junkyard nearby and they're like why don't we f- f- have a come up with the reason to film over there and that's how that happened that's exactly how that happened they were they just saw something that was visually interesting that could make it look like the budget was bigger than it was, that the movie was a bigger scope than it was. And they're like, how do we, how do we like ham fist our way into this and, let, and get this into the film? Let's, we'll just have the sheriff interrogate some people here. Yeah. And then just have this completely useless scene with this, uh, you know, with this, uh, uncle, you know, uncle. Yeah. And I just, I mean, that was, oh God. And, uh, definitely the couple in the beginning, completely useless, completely extraneous. Like they had a, you could have, they you, had a purpose, but you, that you, scene didn't have a purpose. You could have cut out the entire scene, that entire first scene of that first race. Yeah. It never needed to happen. Well, they needed to have the main bad guy race first and it couldn't be a race where he died. So that's why that had to be, you know, but what it should have been is it should have been racing a character that was actually in the rest of the movie. Yeah. That came back later for some reason. Something. It should have, you know, it could have been uh, Billy. Yeah. You know, they almost, they tried to get him to race at one point, you know, before the Wraith car shows up to interrupt him. It could have been the first race would have been like, like, oh, I know you had something to do with my brother. And so he races him to try to, you know. Yeah. He, he can't get revenge, so his brother has to come back from the dead to get revenge for him. You just wrote a better movie, Ken. That's amazing. I, I sure did, Brian. <laughs> Just, I, I'll be expecting just, <laughs> my check in the mail anytime. You just, I mean, here's the thing. That actually would have made sense. That would have been a more compelling story. And you would have had two less idiots in the film that just didn't even need to be in there. It just, that was a completely complete throwaway scene. The problem with this movie is that you can't fix it. It's not worth fixing. It really isn't. It isn't. And it's not worth watching either. If you haven't figured that out yet. Uh, this has a, a a six out of ten on IMDb. I'd give it a four. I, I gotta say, I mean, that six has got to be just from people who like the car chases. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a bad, campy film, uh, but it's not it's not bad enough, and it's not campy enough. It's overwhelmingly pathetic. It's just it's just pathetic. The it's characters not... are pathetic. The story is pathetic. The amount of exposition is pathetic. And the way it's introduced, like we said, it's just... The it's, amount of time we spend with pe- people who are pathetic is pathetic. I, I, I You know, when, when Charlie Sheen is top-billed in this film, you expect to see Charlie Sheen in this film. Uh, so, for those of you who've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know that there's a Charlie Sheen uh, scene in that as well. Okay? We see him maybe three times that amount in this film that he gets top-billing in. Yeah. Released the same year, I might add. See, they really need to use him in a way where he is antagonizing the bad people, like you know, in, in, a, in a with his charisma and you know charm and whatever. Sure, they need to play that up. 
Sure. Yeah. But here's the thing. You know, so, so the only time you ostensibly see him is in, in the car. Okay. So the car, or you see him in his daft punk Borg outfit, which, you know, could it be, could be anybody, you know, could be the director's brother, nephew, whatever wife. I mean, who knows? The actual screen time with him just as Charlie Sheen is so minimal. And it's, it's amazing. And it's all him with, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Carrie Johnson. Carrie Johnson. Yeah. It's all the scenes with her. Yeah. Just about, know? except my, yeah. Cause even the one with where he's talking to Billy, his brother. They didn't really talk the, about much. Yeah. They don't talk about much and they're looking at Sherilyn Fenn's character the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he, he has no, nothing on his own to build, uh, there's, oh man, it's just the more you talk about it, it's like the worse it gets. Yeah. It's like there's there's absolutely nothing of him on his own. It's a, it's a spiral. It's it just, really is. It's just, man, it's just the more you, it's like it's like an, a shit onion. You just take another layer and it's just, it's worse. It's like the further you get in the discussion, the further you go down the drain. Further down the drain here on the O&M stock room. So I would say the other, only other thing that's okay, uh, the car chases are fine. Those are well executed. Well filmed. The soundtrack is fine. The soundtrack is great. So I think both of those things were good for, especially for this this era. Sure. Um, those are the highlights, and and it's not worth watching for those things. It's definitely not, you know, and it's not. Uh, there is some light nudity, which uh, some younger members of the audience uh, may appreciate. Specifically, the uh, you know the fourteen year old you know middle school boy may find uh, the brief glimpses. Uh, something of note, but you shouldn't watch it if you're under, say, 17 or so without parental guidance. <laughs> or, Uncle, you know, or, Uncle, or whatever. Or Uncle whatever. Brian is looking out for you innocent people. I'm, I'm, I'm a podcaster, not a cop. Do what you like. But, um, I mean, there's just, yeah, I mean, just yeah. every time you think it's going to be something interesting, it just doesn't, it doesn't materialize. I, I, I realized pretty quickly that I was resigned to my fate that I was not going to enjoy this movie. I held on to hope for a full 30 minutes that it was going to turn around and kind of coalesce, but I knew it wouldn't because I'd never heard of it. Mm. And if I had not heard of it, considering all the other people that were in it, you know, yeah, including Randy Quaid, including Clinton Howard, I just, ah, that was my, that was the foreboding there. I just, I just knew it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen and it didn't. Any other uh, final thoughts or uh, comments on this film, Ken? Before um, we just don't don't bother. Yeah, don't bother. Don't bother. You can listen to this and just skip that. Which, if you got to this point, you already did. Hopefully, hopefully. All right. Thank you for joining us uh, this evening for the uh, complimentary cinema on O and M Stockroom. Uh, we're your hosts, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.